Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a good spell uh, on the journey of Voice Fallers Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day. And, I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. Who wouldn't want to celebrate the Words and Nerds fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. On this author takeover edition, I'm your host, Karen Sepulveda, author of two novels, Letters to My Yesterday, and most recently, The Women's Circle. Today, I'm so excited to be chatting to author Katie McMahon. Katie's debut novel, The Mistake, was published by Echo Publishing in March this year, and it is such a fun read. Fresh, addictive, and it will keep you guessing until the very end. Katie lives in Hobart with her family, where apart from writing, she works as a GP and teaches communication skills to medical students. Welcome, Katie, to the podcast. Thanks so much, Karen, for having me. Okay, now, I absolutely loved your book. It was given to me by my best friend for my birthday, and she's not a reader at all, so she picked it solely on the cover, and that amazing cover quote you have by Leanne Moriarty, which is just amazing. Um, And I read it straight away. I took it home, read it that weekend, and just devoured. It was so addictive and I think just a lot of fun. It was one of those books that was really fun to read. I kept, when I put it down, I was like, oh, I want to get back to those characters and just enjoy them. It was a really nice escape. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I just thought, just for the readers who haven't had a chance to read your book yet, can you just tell us just briefly what the story is about? Sure. So the mistake is uh, set in Hobart and Melbourne, and it's a story of two sisters, one of whom has this on-the-surface perfect life, which begins to crack and fall apart when her husband is accused of sexual harassment also about the second sister Kate and a kind of body changing experience that she's had that's left her feeling not sexy anymore not that that has totally changed her sense of herself as a woman and so it's about her journey towards restoring that sense of herself yeah I love that you wrote from the two perspectives because the sisters are so different um but you can, you can also see their similarities and their closeness, but I love the way they express their kind of an annoyance at each other as well and these, you know, these deep things. Well, we know they're holding on to something from the past, which we won't give any spoilers, but I love how that trickles through quite slowly. And I wanted to ask you, do you have a sister? Like where did you get that kind of um, realistic tone to it from? Oh, thank you. Um, I actually don't have a sister. Oh. Yeah. People have asked me that, um, but, yeah, no, I don't. I have brothers, but, yeah. but I actually always yearned for a sister growing up and really used to look at my friends who had sisters and feel really envious of what it must be like yeah. to have that person who knows you really well and with whom you can fight and you can have disagreements and annoyances and, you know, friends would often say, oh, my sister annoys me so much. Um, But yet there's still that just unbreakable bond. And um, so that's what I tried. 
mm. you know, stress and show in this book. And I would say I, uh, I've been just blessed in life to have a, a, a wonderful best friend of, of 40 years. We've known each other since very early um, primary school and she has been, you know, as, as close as you could get to a sister, I think. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Well, you did a brilliant job of calling that experience in because I've got two sisters and I could really relate to all those feelings because they are, they're like built-in best friends and I think, you know, using a best friend as um, that model I think worked really, really well because it was very oh. realistic, their relationship oh. and the way they felt about <laughs> each other. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. It had me laughing a lot, actually. I really enjoyed that. Oh, great. Did you have a favourite perspective to write from, Beck or Kate? Oh, I I actually preferred writing from the point of view of Kate. That came more easily to me and uh, partly because Kate is written in the first person Mm. and and that felt very natural and very flowing for me. Mm-hmm. And I just really loved Kate. Yeah. Um, she's in a way the person I'd like to be, like <laughs> very forthright, very self-confident, very definite in her opinions, takes no rubbish from anyone, um, you know, which, which are qualities that sometimes I wish I had a bit more of. <laughs> And whereas uh, Beck, who I wrote in the third person, so it, it took me a little bit, it, 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 it was a bit harder to make her really engaging. Yeah. And actually for Beck, when I was writing the character Beck, in order to help me get inside her head more, I wrote big chunks um, initially in the third person and then I kind of like, changed them translated them back into the first person so I was I I wrote a lot of you know maybe a couple of chapters I rewrote them as I and that helped me get inside Beck's head a bit more and just little extra observations naturally came out when I was starting to write in that first person and then um, and then I re-translated it back into the third person because we felt that structurally it would work better for the reader if one sister was in the first person and one was in the third person. So I translated it back into that third person but hopefully with just a little bit more warmth and depth and um, intimate understanding of Beck. That is such an interesting strategy to use and I love that when you read a book you don't think of all those things of what goes in behind there to to make it flow so easily. Because I was going to say I loved both and I didn't even pay attention if one was in the third person or one was in the first person. It's not something I noticed. I just enjoyed both perspectives so well. So to hear you describe how you brought that warmth to Beck is so interesting. And I also love with the characters, you've got such different sisters. So Kate, Beck I would think would be... I don't know, I guess she has the ideal life and that's what you think would be the better life. But I I actually, I was the same as you with Kate. I just loved her personality so much and she was the one that was like, oh, I want to be like you, (laughs) even though, you know, she was lonely and she had so much um, to go through and work through. She was the character that was like, oh, yeah, (laughs) you know. And I love that from the beginning we know that Beck's life is basically going to fall apart. We have that little... Um, you know, section at the beginning where we know. So how was that um, 
writing the story knowing that everything was going to kind of crumble for Beck? Why do you think that had to happen to her? Well, I mean, I think that to make a book, there kind of there has to be a source of conflict <laughs> drama. I mean, I'm sure some brilliant writers can make a wonderful, and, and, and it's no doubt true, can make a wonderful story where, you know, in inverted commas, nothing much happens. But even they have to show, you know, just even a, a, a small thing that happens to a character really has to be significant for that character, doesn't it? And, and you know, result in some sort of change or transformation or change in position of either that character's inner self or their outer life. Um, and I suppose, so, you, you know, to, to, there had to be, something had to happen. In <laughs> um, I, I couldn't make a story interesting about a woman just kind of living a perfect life. <laughs> Uh, you know, perfect life in inverted commas, I hasten to add. Um, and I guess, like, I feel quite interested in this idea that what is going on underneath for people is, you know, often not what's there on the surface. Yes. Yeah, so, so maybe that's why I chose to create this character who did have, you know, she would be, It'd be written up in a you know magazine about having it all, yeah. um, but but who then lost it all? Yeah. You know, came close to losing it all. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely fascinating because same. I think that's the most interesting kind of story when you when their inner world is so different to what we see on the outside. That's the yeah, beauty that's- of storytelling, I guess, that we get to peek into people's lives and see what we wouldn't normally see. Yeah, and it, it, you know, I'll just add. At one point I did, um, oh, I started doing a, a Masters of Creative Writing and this was like, you know, quite a few years ago when I was just in the early stages of sort of developing Beck's character and we did this exercise where we had to, you know, answer some questions about a character. So, you know, what's their name? You know, what's their family situation? Do they donate to charity? What do they like to read? What do they like to eat? You know, those sort of yeah. kind of basic questions. And so I filled that all in. And the feedback I got was, oh, well, this character just sounds like a bland, boring, nice middle-class lady. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, so maybe I have to, what can I do to make, you know, spice this character up and make him more interesting? And then over time I realised, well, yeah, like on the surface, if people met Beck, they would think that, yeah, she's this bland, nice, middle-class lady. Yeah. Um, but, but what's interesting in a character is, to me, what's going on under the surface, and I think you don't really, you know, learn that um, until you've really focused on a character, as a writer, you've focused on a character more than just those superficial sort of biometric questions. Yes. And for Kate, so I don't want to give anything away because I really enjoyed working out what was happening with her. I don't want to ruin it for readers, but she's in a very vulnerable kind of situation when she decides to start dating again. She's been by herself for a long time. Mm-hmm. How did you kind of go about researching what that would be like or tapping into that vulnerability that she must have by putting herself out there. I think she uses Tinder as her way of finding Mm. dates. Uh, I did, I guess, research and thinking from a number of different points of view. Mm. One of the main things that I drew on was um, my, you know, one of the, the feelings that I drew on, I guess, was 
my own experience of aging Mm -hmm. and you know I'm unlike Kate 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 the character was and is you know conventionally beautiful so you know I'm not kind of meaning to imply that 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 was my experience but I definitely still did notice this real difference between how people responded to me when I was 25 compared to how they responded to me when I was, you know, 42. And I really was astounded by the depth of loss that I felt. Wow. Uh, So I did draw on that feeling, Mm. um, that feeling that I felt as if, you know, after a certain age, I'm now sort of excluded from the culture that's about being sexy, you know, about being a bit flirty, about getting looked at a certain way. Mm. Um, so, so I, you know, I drew on that feeling for Kate, that sense mm. of loss. I spent a lot of time looking actually through magazines of um, photos of of models from when Kate would have been in her heyday. So really trying to get myself into the headspace of, oh, what would it have been like to be a model around, you know, the turn of the century? Uh, You know, the glitz and the glamour and the emphasis on the physical appearance and how you look. Um, And I did some reading from the perspective of people managing a disability and, you know, try to, you know, I was very aware that I am not managing a disability and that, that, you know, was therefore something that had to be approached very sensitively. Mm. So I tried to, um, as I guess, look at those perspectives and as much as I could um, avoid perpetuating, you know, hurtful or harmful stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah, I think you did a beautiful job because it was so authentic, her feelings, um, when she's going on that first date that we kind of take part in with her. And um, I could easily put myself in her shoes. So, yeah, I think it was beautifully done. And, you know, I mean, yeah, like I could totally put myself in the perspective of being rejection and, um, you know, all those things that we how we make ourselves vulnerable. Yeah. So I just want to take a break from talking about the book for a second and just chat about what led you up to your writing journey because I read on your bio that you're actually a doctor and that you decided to study medicine while you're travelling in India, which just sounds so interesting. So I have to ask you about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I always loved reading and writing. You know, I was always the kid with her nose in a book Um, my brothers were much more sporty Uh, our house was always you know there were there were were always lots of books around mum would always be picking up secondhand books at the op shop or at the little stalls and um, so then when I you know was sort of in high school I had particularly a couple of um you know, a few teachers who really encouraged my love of writing and reading and drama and to whom I'm very indebted. And so I, you know, decided I wanted to be a journalist. You know, I kind of wanted to be an actress, but I just was even at 17 realistic enough to know that I probably wasn't destined for a great 
you know, career as an actress. But I thought, well, maybe journalism could be something that um, that I could, you know, that I could do. So anyway, whatever, I, I got into this journalism degree. Then I went overseas for a year and, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, yeah, I went to India and I just kind of wanted out of life and what I thought was important out of life and out of that, I thought, well, I would love to do something that could try in some small way to, you know, to, to help other people or to make a contribution. So, and, and, and I just had a feeling like maybe medicine might be the way that I could do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I came back and I, and I, you know, sort of, I had to do year 11 and 12 again. I had to do it for a second time because yeah. in those days, I don't know if it's still the case you needed to have done maths and science and I hadn't done that. I'd done drama and English. (laughs) Anyway, whatever. I managed to (laughs) sneak myself into a medical degree, like by um and and yeah, and and did that and eventually became um a GP. And but there was always this writing in the background. Like I was always doing bits of writing, and I noticed that if someone just said, Oh, you know, can you write a paragraph for our newsletter? or you know, can you I don't know, even, you know, help write us a funding um, proposal or whatever, I'd always, like, really love that writing and I'd really work hard on, you know, I'd be moving commas around and, <laughs> you know, what it's like, like trying to make it sound as good as I could. I always loved it. Uh, and then after I had been on maternity leave for a while and it was time to be getting back into the, the paid workforce, I... Uh, I sort of just had a think about, well, what do I really want to do? And I decided I would like to, you know, to pursue writing in some form, yeah. um, you know, as well as, you know, continuing my my um, medicine. So, yeah, so I just started, started trying again yeah. and I enrolled in a master's degree at Macquarie University, which was great. I got a lot of useful stuff out of that. I actually didn't finish it, <laughs> which is like, it's such a cliche. Yeah, I actually did the same course at Macquarie Uni. Yeah, a master's of creative writing. What year did you do it? Um, I did it in, it must have been 2016 slash 17. Oh, okay, I did a bit before that. Okay. Right. Yeah, wow. Oh, good one. <laughs> It's Were a hard you, slog. It is a hard slog. Yeah, I found all the, the not being based in Sydney, all my exposure was online mm-hmm. and I found that a bit difficult. I think I might have had a different experience if yes. I'd been going to the, to the actual, you know, in, in classroom tutorials. Yeah. And then I saw, um, first of all, I just want to say how amazing it is the way you describe how you fell into medicine, because when you hear about people becoming a doctor, they've usually really planned that out through high school. And, um, you know, it's been something they've been striving towards. And I love that for you, it didn't come from, um, you know, wanting to be a doctor for any other reason other than to help people. I think that's so beautiful. And what a lovely way to go into that industry I think it says a lot about you that you were willing to come back and do your 11 and 12 again and strive towards that and I'm sure that determination is very helpful for your writing career too because it's one of the main assets you need as a writer is that determination and just to keep trying and not give up and isn't it (laughs) unlike in medicine no one ever gives you a degree and says you know 
now you're a writer. Like even if you you still don't really have that. You know, here's your degree. Now go out and publish books, you know. Oh, God, if only. If only it worked like that. (laughs) I wish so much. But that leads me to asking you about... um, how you came to write this particular story and get it published. I saw that you did the Fiona McIntosh um, masterclass, which so many amazing writers seem to come come out from. It must be a brilliant experience. So if you could tell us a little bit about that and how that led you to writing this manuscript. Yeah, sure. So, um, yes, I did the Fiona McIntosh masterclass in, I think, uh, I seem to have a very bad memory for dates, actually, but I think it was 2018, late 2018. And, um, yeah, I was lucky enough to be given that course as a gift, which was an awesome present. And, uh, yeah, so it was a five-day course. I had to travel interstate to do it, which, to be honest, that was even amazing to be (laughs) off, you know, after a very intense family life for quite a few years to just be going. Amazing. Oh, my goodness, it was amazing. (laughs) it's like this is just for me yeah totally absolutely and you know I'd come home at the end of the day I was staying in this little sort of apartment thing in Adelaide and you know everything would just be where I'd left it (laughs) you know stuff on the floor you know dishes to have to think about was wonderful um anyway that course look the main thing I personally got out of it was Fiona McIntosh you know, there was no kind of molly coddling. It was just like, look, if you think you want to write a book, just start it. Just get on with it. Stop your reading. Stop your navel gazing. I don't care. Get on with it. I love that. It's so realistic. Yeah, I know. I know. It was so good. And it was what I did, actually, because when I went to to her course, I'd had, I'd, I'd actually, I'd had these characters in my head for a long time, and actually, in, when I was in my twenties, I'd written like a like a, a short story essentially about Beck in her twenties. Um, so I'd had these characters in my head for a long time, and I had kind of about ten pages, which were all you know, written to within an inch of their lives in terms of how many times I'd been over it. You know, they were ten very very well written pages. <laughs> But like ten pages, you know, is, does not make a novel. So, <laughs> so uh, after that course, I was just like, well, I've just got to stop yeah. um, procrastinating. Like, I think it can become a form of procrastination to just overwork on a certain section. I mean, obviously, I totally believe in rewriting and. Mm. I went over the mistake, you know, you know, multiple, multiple, multiple times. And I'm not saying that I think you should just dash something off and that'll mm. be that. But, you know, there comes a time where you have to recognise that oh, I'm just going over this yeah. because I'm too scared to move on to the next chapter. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think there's a lot to be said in that first draft stage for just blurting the words out and just getting it on the page. Definitely, I agree with that. It's kind of like the basic framework of a house is how I picture it like you can't live in it no one's ever going to move into it but 
don't put the frame up, you're never going to get to the point of putting the nice cushions around the bedrooms. That is a perfect <laughs> analogy. It's so true because what else can you work with unless you've got that framework down? Yeah, yeah exactly. It has to be, you have to start somewhere. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So how long after you did the, once you decide, okay, that's it, I'm getting this draft out, how long did it take you to complete that manuscript then? I reckon um, to get the bulk of a first draft done, a about a year and a half mm-hmm. of, of a first draft. Yeah. And then after that, there was, I guess, another year or so, yeah. um, eight months or so of, of, you know. Fine-tuning. Refining, yeah. 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 And then so you published with Echo, who have some really exciting authors that they work with. So how did that publication contract come about? Well, I had a dream run, Karen. Um, I, my first three chapters um, I submitted to Echo. They were the first publisher that mm-hmm. I had submitted to. And, yeah, so I submitted the first three chapters and I sort of, I had really low expectations. Like I definitely wasn't thinking that I was going to get published or whatever. You know, I, I, I totally had no expectations and, and to be honest, I sort of forgot about it. Like I, I was still, I was refining and rewriting, and, mm-hmm. and and you know, while while I knew that that was kind of happening, and then yeah, I got this this text saying, you know, hello, my name is Tegan, and I'm a publisher at Echo, and I was just like, ah! oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I love hearing stories like that where it is just. It just works perfectly first time round, you know. I love it because I think it gives such hope to inspiring authors that it does happen. And I think what you said is so important, the fact that you sent it off and you kind of forgot about it and didn't have those expectations because I think that is when stuff does happen and does um, all fall into place because you haven't put all of your heavy expectations on it and you're not desperate for it to happen. You've kind of just put it out there and go on about your day. I think that's just absolutely wonderful. The really only way to have any sort of, you know, mental equanimity yeah. about it is by recognising that, you know, of course you really hope for something, but yeah. there's a lot of control, right? Exactly. You can just do your best and put it out there. Exactly right. I love yeah. that. And then so now it's been a few months since it was released. Does it feel real yet that your book is out there in the world? <laughs> Yeah, yes, it does. Yep. Um, it feels, I find it much harder, you know, for all my talking about mental equanimity. <laughs> um, I find it much harder to have it out there, exposed to everyone's opinions. And uh, I, I, I guess I enjoy the writing process much more than yeah. that. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, no, it feels real. A friend was kind enough to text me a photo of of it, of the mistake, um, in one of the bookshops in um, one of the big airports. I think it was Sydney Airport, yeah. and I did have a moment where I was like, "Oh wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's me!" <laughs> yeah, me sitting at my kitchen bench. Look yeah. at that. And, you know, it's funny you said that because we were talking about being vulnerable before and I think there's nothing more vulnerable for a writer when you've had that story and you said you've had those characters with you since 
your 20s and then suddenly they're out there and everyone else is reading them and sharing their opinions on them it's very vulnerable situation to be in and yeah it is it's tricky but you should be so proud of this book I think it's just wonderful it's a really exciting kind of fresh story which I think so many readers are going to enjoy definitely if they haven't already <laughs> oh, thank you Karen that's really lovely to hear yeah, I mean, actually, um, there's a wonderful writer I love called Nikki Jemmel um, in a number of books. And a few, maybe yeah, a few months ago, she, you know, a, a new novel of hers was published and she writes a column, um, as you probably know, in The Weekend mm-hmm. Australian. She wrote something along the lines of, whenever I've got a book coming out, I just wish I could disappear. Yes. And I was like, oh, my goodness, even <laughs> Nikki like that. <laughs> No, it's funny, isn't it? And I think that um, so many authors that have released numerous books, so many of them say the same thing, that each time it feels the same. It's still that same vulnerability, that's still, you know, the same fear and anxieties come up and it's just how you cope with them, I guess. And, you know, well, I feel the fear, but I'm doing it anyway. So, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> What's the alternative to just that's not right. do it? Keep all the stories to yourself. That's not fun. <laughs> exactly. So what are you working on next? Like how do you now um, balance your writing time with your family life and your work? I, um, I saw that as well as being a GP, you also teach communication to medical students. So you've got that work going on as well. And how do yeah, you balance it all? Um, well, sometimes, you know, like I'm just going to be honest and say I have recently had moments where I've just thought this, I just don't think I can keep doing all this. This okay. is so and uh, you know am I I feel like it's so hard to feel that you're doing everything well when you're trying to do a number of things um but then I have other days where I'm just like oh no this is this is fine (laughs) this is fine one day at a time I mean and look you know I only work I work very you know I work part-time um in a clinic I work part-time teaching the the students the medical students um and then so I have like two to three days a week to do writing and um so I work during school hours and really that is pretty much all I do like I have no other life (laughs) (laughs) um you know I have to say no to going out for walks with with friends or you know coffee or whatever um but you know that's just like anyone with a full-time job right you you have you, you know you have to go to work. You have to go to work in the day. Yeah. And I've been really trying to keep the weekends free for the family and not, you know, it's very tempting to just open the computer and yes. have a look. Oh, just tweak that. And then as I'm sure you know, Karen, you just, you know, you go so into that world of your book that mm. getting pulled out of it is really hard. I think, you know, you said you work part-time at the two other jobs, which can be really helpful when you're writing, but sometimes it's tricky too when you've got lots of little bits of other things you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Because it feels like you're in all these different worlds sometimes. And it's like you said, when you're in the middle of writing a draft, it's really hard to be pulled back into the normal world and be like, okay, well, I'm mum now or I'm a GP right now. You know, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, I totally get it. So I love that you keep your weekends free because I think – yeah, mentally it's so good to have a proper break. Yeah, I agree. And, like, I do think, you know, there's this sort of received wisdom, which I'm not meaning to 
you know, make anyone hate me, but like, you know, you must write every day and that's, you know, a good writer in inverted commas is writing every day. And I mean, yeah, like ideally I would love to write every day, but I also do feel like that ethos has sort of grown out of a world where most of the writers were men and most of them had wives who took care of the details. Like that's, and yes, you know, great. If you've got someone who's doing everything else in your life, you can write every day, but that's just not the case for a lot of people now. And I don't think that, you know, as, as you know, we, you know, I would consider myself an aspiring writer should make myself feel like oh, I'm not good enough because I can't write every day. No, yeah. absolutely. I think different um, writing patterns or different writing habits work completely differently for each writer. There are some people who have to write every day as they can't stay in their draft, but there's other people who, you know, you can pick it up once a week and that's enough. You can do a one big eight hour session and you know you get enough out everyone is so different I think there's no right way of doing it yeah but that leaves me one question I forgot to ask you before we finish up about writing the mistake because it's got that wonderful mystery all the way through it and um we're kind of you really are guessing till the end did you I really need to know did you plot the entire story out first so you knew exactly what was going to happen or did you just go for it yeah, no, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but I knew from early on that I knew from early on who the in inverted commas baddie was. Okay, yeah. um, and I didn't know exactly why or how yeah. that was going to think you know events were going to happen as they did, but very much. In the beginning, it was just, it was all about, you know, the characters and letting them really take me, you know, how, how the plot would unfold. Oh, wonderful. So there's a freedom in that. Yeah. Do you, can I just ask, do you tend to plot from the beginning? Or? No, I'm the worst. I'm the messiest writer. <laughs> I write <laughs> some pieces all over the place and know that, but I, Whenever I read a book with that mystery in it, I always think they must plot this. Like they have to have some sort of chart where they've figured it all out. So I love that you didn't. That's yeah, so no, interesting. I but, I mean, of course, you know, as we were talking before about rewriting, like uh, once I kind of knew what was going to happen, I very much had to go back and, and kind of structure and restructure yeah. the book to work out when the clues were going to be given and how, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yes. Oh, well, I've really enjoyed our chat. I'm going to finish off with a question um, that Danny likes to ask um, all of her guests. So if you had to explain in just a couple of sentences, why do you write? I think there's honestly nothing much else I really want to do. Mm -hmm. I so want to get better at it. I so love to do it. Yeah. That's why, yeah. Perfect reason. (laughs) Thank you so much for chatting to me, Katie. And if you haven't read The Mistake yet, really go and check it out. It's such a fun read. And I just think perfect escape for people at the moment. We've got our everyday lives are quite, you know, a lot of the lockdown areas are quite um, flat, (laughs) for want of a better word. So a book like this is a wonderful escape. So I highly recommend. Thank you, Katie. Thanks so much, Karen. Thank you. Love to chat.
Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny B Books Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.